Okay, so the title of this message is called A Move of God. I wrote this some time ago, and I just felt like tonight was the night we needed to talk about it. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 2 through 11. The Bible says, David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nachon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Paris Uzzah to this day, which means outbreak against Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but David took it into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So David uh, had been anointed when he was young. We don't really know the age. We're going to think it's somewhere around 16 or 17 to be the next king of Israel. And uh, he was, uh, there was a king of Israel already in place. His name was Saul, but Saul, because he did not obey the Lord, uh, God withdrew his anointing, his, his kingship from him. But it was going to be a period of time before David, who was anointed to be the next king, would become king. He was now finally the king. Uh, he, he became king over uh, Hebron and then became king over all of Israel. And uh, one of the first things that he wanted to do once he became the king over all of Israel is he wanted to bring the ark of God to the place that he chose to reign from, and that is the city of Jerusalem. The passage we read chronicles part of what took place on the attempt by the people of God to bring God's presence near. The first point I have here, I titled it, A Move of God. 2 Samuel 6, 3 through 5. So they set the ark of God on a new cart, just to kind of refresh us from what we read, read, brought it out of the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. They brought it out of the house, which was on the hill. David, verse 5, and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, and you, you can read those there. So what do we see going on here? First, there was a call to gather all the people of God to bring the presence of God near. So what you had was you had a gathering. And God's desire had been, as we've shown you, and we were looking again uh, at some of the things that we're teaching on Sunday morning, God's desire has been from the very beginning to dwell in the midst of his people. In Genesis 3, 8 through 9, the Bible says, They, Adam and Eve, heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord looked for them, and how he did that, he said, the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? Because God wants to be close to his people. Numbers 35, 34, defile not therefore the land which ye shall inhabit, wherein I dwell, for I the Lord dwell among the children of Israel. Matthew 18 and 20, where two or three are gathered together in his name, there am I in the midst of them. So we had a gathering, 
to bring the presence of the Lord back to them. Second, there was praise and worship going up as the people began the process of what we are calling the move of God. So you also had a worship service going on. You had a prayer meeting and you had a worship service. Not just a regular worship service, but one where the presence of God was really moving because they had the ark of God, which represented the presence of God, right? Psalms 22, verse 3, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Now, while I'm being a little strong on the emphasis I'm giving to what's happening, I do want you to understand that the ark of God was not just a box. Neither was it simply a symbol of God's presence. No, we must be really careful to emphasize that the presence of God hover, hovered over the ark that God had the Israelites built. So this really was a move of God as God hovered over the mercy seat that covered the ark. Exodus 25, verse 22, And there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony, about, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. So what is happening here is good. But there are some other things that are happening here that are not so good. And maybe they're not quite as evident on our first reading um, you know, we have to dig a little bit deeper into the text to see what's going on. As we look into this passage a little bit more, let's see what else we can see that can help us understand the move of God and glean from the mistakes and the successes that the people of God had in this move of God that brought God's presence near. So the second point we want to emphasize is that the move was off balance. Second Samuel 6, 6 through 8. When they came to Nachon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of that place Perez Uzzah to this day. So what, what happened there? I mean, we're reading that. We don't understand. You might say, well, why would God do that? They're doing a good thing. They're bringing the presence of God back. And all of a sudden, you know, here he's trying to help God out, and God punishes him. What was happening? Well, we've got to look a little bit deeper. You, you need to understand. And there's a couple of things that we'll find here in a minute. The first thing we're going to find is that the Word of God was missing. This is a move of God. The move of God is taking place but the word of God is missing. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, in 2 Samuel 6, 3, it says they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it to the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. As we examine these verses a little more in depth, I want to remind us that we are Pentecostal people. Some of you are going, I didn't know that. I count the wrong church. <laughs> we are familiar with the move of the Spirit. We have a heritage of allowing the Spirit of God to move and have His way within our midst. But we also have seen some excesses here and there throughout our movement. In fact, there are some Pentecostal people that really, in their hearts, don't want God to move because they're afraid of the excesses. But you know, to you, if that's where you can camp, you don't stop having kids because you're afraid of the mess. Right? You have kids because they bring a lot of joy, but you understand that you're going to have to uh, steward those kids. And when God moves, there are going to be excesses, there's going to be mess, but the joy that comes from the presence of the Lord is, that is near is worth going through the messes, in my opinion anyway, right? So 
While there have been and will always be excesses in the immediate as we seek to understand what God is doing, there should be the guidance of the Word of God to give the movement some stability. If I were to say this succinctly, it would be, it would be that there had to be the joining together or the conflation of the Spirit of God and the Word of God. They both have to be there to keep the move of God in proper balance. Someone once said, where there is the Spirit without the Word, you blow up. Where there is the Word without the Spirit, you dry up. Where you have the Spirit and the Word, you grow up. In this passage, what we, ha what we have is we have a legitimate move of God without the guidance of the Word of God. As a result, what should have been a great blessing to the people of God actually got off kilter and ended up bringing confusion, destruction, and eventually halted this move of God. Had David gone to the Word of God, he would have found that the way to transport the, art of the ark of God's presence was not with a new cart. The new cart method was not a biblical method. It was a worldly method that they got from the Philistines. 1 Samuel 6 and 2 and then 7 through 8. The Philistines, when the ark of God had come to them, called for the priests and the diviners, saying, What shall we do with the ark of God? Tell us how we should send it to its place, because the presence of God was wreaking havoc among the Philistine people. So now, therefore, this is what the Philistines came up with. Make a new cart, take two milk cows, which has never been yoked, hitch the cows to the cart, and take their calves home away from them. Then take the ark of the Lord and set it on the cart and put the articles of gold which you are returning to him as a trespass offering in a chest by its side and then send it away and let it go. So that's what the Philistines did and the Israelites adopted that method whenever they were trying to bring the ark of God back to Jerusalem. But what does the word of God teach about how to transport the ark? See, that's really what we need to understand. After this first fiasco, David went and did some research, and when he did some research, this is what he found. It's 1 Chronicles 15, 11 through 15. David called for Zadok and Abiathar the priests, and for the Levites, for Uriel, Asiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel, and Amenadab, and he said to them, You are the heads of the father's house of the Levites, those are the priests. Sanctify yourselves, you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place I have prepared for it. For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord uh, God uh, of Israel, and the children of the Levites bore the ark of God on their shoulders by its poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. So I didn't go up back to, to Deuteronomy and do all that kind of stuff back to the, to, the, to the Torah. But basically, God told the Israelites to build a car, uh, an ark. He told them that he was going to dwell in the, in the midst, uh, of the, of, on top of the mercy seat. There were two cherubim on top of that. And he told them to put staves or long poles and he told them when it's time to move the way you're going to move this thing is you're going to get the priests and the priests are going to carry the ark of God on their shoulders this is the word of God given to the Israelites in the Bible now obviously what had happened was 
they forgot to consult the Word of God, and so they were having this great move of God, but when they had this great move of God and they violated the Word of God, they didn't understand why God wasn't happy. You see, we want the move of God, but you can't have the move of God without the Word of God. The Word of God always has to guide what God is doing. You know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, uh, movement today among Christianity to get the people in. We want, we want to grow. We want God. We, and, and the sign of God's moving and God's growth is that we have more people. The church is filling. The finances are, are, are getting bigger. You know, we have bigger buildings. We have uh, more elaborate presentations. We have all this stuff happening. But oftentimes what has to happen or what we have seen happening, there's nothing wrong with more people. We want to reach more people. We want to do all of that. But not at the expense of watering down the Word of God. Not at the expense of neglecting what God says in His Word. Let God be true and every man a liar. See, if you lower the bar to allow people to come in, you may find that you have a lot of people, but God decides this is not a place where I want to be. And then what you have is really a, a, an organization. You have an establishment that is a, a wineskin with no wine. What makes the church the church is not a 501c3, it's not a sign on the front of the building, it's not even a lot of people coming together to sing hallelujah, glory to God. That's not what makes the church the church. What makes the church the church is God is in her. And, and listen, this is another way of saying this, is that and in God's uh, 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 economy, in God's system, God leads and we follow. You see, we want to live life this way. I lead and God follows. And that's not the way it works. Jesus said, he that would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. And who is Jesus? Jesus is the Son of God. But the Bible also describes him as the Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word, it says in John 1 and 14, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is the Word manifest. He's not going to violate the Word. He is the Word. If you want to know what the Word of God is, it's Jesus. And so when Jesus said, you've got to follow after me, you're following after the Word. The Word is not following after you. There's a lot of people today that they want to pick and choose what, is, what they want to follow and what they don't want to follow in the Word of God. And they put emphasis on one and they'll, they'll detract from another, you know, and they kind of create a, a system of worship um, that suits them. And it doesn't require, usually what will happen is it doesn't require sacrifice. It doesn't require submission. It doesn't re require to crucify the flesh. It doesn't require to uh, create boundaries within our lives that keeps us from doing things that are outside of God's will. 
well, God should just be happy that I'm going to church. Well, God is happy that you're going to church. That's not the, really the right uh, way to frame it. It's not that you're coming to church. That's not a good thing that you come. I mean, that's a good thing that you come to hear the word of God, that you come. But the bottom line is Christianity is about submitting to a Lord. It's about recognizing who the Creator is and submitting to His Word. You want to get saved? You've got to submit to His Word. I'll have sin and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. God forgive me, for I am a sinner. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except through me. The Word of God states that. So how do I get saved? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, whoever calls on Jesus Christ, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that you shall be, you know, that he is risen from the dead, and you shall be saved. Well, what kind of works do I have to do? You don't have to do any works. Jesus did the works for you. By grace, you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift, not of works. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should both see that's what the word of god teaches so i've got to submit to the word of god when i submit to the word of god and put my faith in god's word then i begin to see god's word manifest in my life so you cannot have a, a valid long-term move of god without the stability and the foundation of the word of god right so there was a missing word but not only was there a missing word there was missing holiness because God is holy. And not only is God is holy, his people are to be holy as well. He makes us holy when we get saved. Right? It's a work of God. It's called uh, uh, instantaneous sanctification. But then there is progressive sanctification, where we walk out what God has done in our life. We are holy because he's made us holy, but we are also becoming holy as we more and more submit to the Word of God. So what there was missing in this move was holiness. That's the second thing we're going to look at, missing holiness. First, David, as we saw just a minute ago, calls on the priests to consecrate themselves to carry the Ark of God. So when we're talking about consecration, we're talking about holiness. As I said, God is a holy God who dwells in the midst of a holy people. David implies that the priests by asking them to consecrate themselves, he kind of lets it in, lets us in on the fact that they had not consecrated themselves. Somebody that's consecrated, you don't have to tell them to consecrate themselves. You tell somebody that's not been consecrated to consecrate themselves. It might make sense. So what we find is a lack of holiness among the people. Hebrews 12 and 14 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one shall see the Lord. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. That word holy means set apart to God. Right? Acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's what makes sense. God saved you, but doesn't it make sense that if he saved you, that you're going to serve him? And you're going to do it the way he asks us to do it. If you're created in the image and the likeness of God and God is holy, shouldn't his people be holy? Right? But again, the move today is uh, to somehow become a Christian without holiness. That somehow or another I can continue to be a person of the world 
but it's okay because my security is when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. Right? Now, whether you're going to go to heaven or not is really not my call. All I know is you're playing with fire when you say, well, I said a prayer so I know I have my plot ready when I die, but I'm not going to live for God the way God says. He should just be happy that I said a prayer. I'm not, but, the, but that's not how Christianity presents itself. It's not how Jesus presented himself. He said it's, it's about if, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Paul said, it is no longer I that live, but Christ in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christianity is about, um, it's about all, being all in for God. I mean, really, it's, that's a really short way of saying uh, this everything about Christianity. If you, just want to, if you want a short way of understanding it, is you've got to be all in. You can't be halfway in. You can't be two-thirds in. You've got to be all in. Does that mean I have to be perfect? No. We strive for perfection, but you don't have to be perfect, but your heart has to be all in. And there's a difference between somebody that's not all in. Listen, you can actually be not all in. As, let me use football as an illustration. Your heart can really not be in football. Maybe what you really want is a paycheck. But you're so good of a football player, you know, that you do well. And then there's another person that maybe they're not as good of a football player as you, but their heart's all in. Right? So it's really not what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside. It's what's in the heart. And so the person that's not all in, he can actually do better, look better, all that kind of stuff. And the person that's not, that is all in, he may not just have the, you may have five talents, he may have one. What makes the difference is this person with one talent is all in. And we make mistakes. We're learning how to walk. Walk ye therefore in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. We're learning how to walk with God. We're learning how to live out the Christian life. As we learn how to walk with God and we learn how to live out the Christian life, we, we, we're going to make mistakes. Yeah. I, I, I say this all the time. I have two kids, one's 27 and one's 25, but I remember when they were first born. And we had to take care of them, carry them. I, I really miss those days. Uh, probably when I was at that age, I probably didn't. Uh, but now that I look back, I'd do anything to be able to carry my kids on my shoulders. and have my, I just, I love that. But they had to learn how to walk. But you know, these are, my, these are my daughters. They have all my heart. Everything. I'm invested in them 100%. And so now they're going to learn how to walk. And so it's, when they're learning how to walk, you don't expect... You hope, but you don't expect that your kids are going to walk perfectly. They're going to go a little bit and fall down. They're going to go a little bit and they're going to fall down. And they're going to go a little bit farther and they're going to fall. And they're going to go a little bit farther until one day they don't fall anymore. Well, when they fall down, you don't say, man, you're not worthy of being in my family. You're out. You don't say to them, man, I, I wish I'd have got a better kid. No. You understand that there is a growth process, that we're growing. Now, over a process of time, you expect that they're going to do a better job of walking. But when they walk, sometimes they may not be paying attention. They may stop their toe on something. They may fall down. That doesn't mean that they're no longer part of the family. It just means they made a mistake. 
And as we're growing in God, we're going to make mistakes, but hopefully as we grow and we continue to walk with God, we're going to become more and more a reflection of who He is because we're created in the image and the likeness of God. Right? We strive for perfection, but we're not always going to be perfect. I make mistakes. I make mistakes all the time. Right? So what do you do when you make a mistake? Confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of sins and confesses for, uh, confesses, <laughs> forgive us of our sins and uh, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I, I was quoting, quoting the scripture and my mind was going somewhere else and I didn't finish quoting the scripture. So, uh, and also when you make a mistake with somebody else, what, what, what do you do? You say you're sorry. I'm going to tell you something. That, for me, that was the hardest thing to do. It's hard to say I'm sorry. You know what that is? It's pride. Right? But I learned over a process of time, you know, it's, you know, why don't we just, you're going to say it at some point, why not just get it over with? Right? <sighs> I'm sorry. You know, and it's easier to say I'm sorry than it was before. And what you find is that you feel so much better doing it. You know, you learn over a process of time, hey, don't fight it, just do it. Right? 1 Peter 2 and 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal, well, let me finish uh, verse 2. Do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Not will of man, but the will of God. Where do you find that? In his word. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am, and I can do what it says I can do. Amen? 1 Peter 2 and 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous life. Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. But you have not so learned Christ. Paul is actually giving instruction to the Ephesians church that they're not supposed to live like the world anymore. <laughs> So, you know, some people think that grace means I can do whatever I want and God forgives me. Well, in grace is God's empowerment for people that mess up as well, but it's more than that. It's the empowerment of God not to mess up. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitfulness, lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Holiness is not a bad word. It's a biblical word. It's a kingdom word. And I want you to know that before I was a Christian and when I was, uh, you know, uh, I did things that I was ashamed of myself. But I'm never ashamed of myself when I'm living righteously and holy. I feel good about myself. I feel good about my walk with God. I feel good about my walk before my fellow man when I live righteous and holy. I don't lose anything by living holy. I gain much by living holy. Second, our passage in 1 Samuel sheds some further light on what is taking place with a new cart. In 2 Samuel 6 and 3, it says, Uzzah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. They were driving it. Because God is holy, in his holiness, he is to be reverenced. We call this the fear of the Lord. God is creator, sustainer, 
deliverer, provider, and so much more, but God is also king. He is king of all kings, and as king, he is the one who rules and reigns. Of further importance is how the Levites were to transport the ark reminds us of the way kings throughout history were transported by their people. They would often sit on the throne, and their throne was carried by the servants of the king. They carried the king on their shoulders wherever the king desired to go. The king did not follow the people where they wanted to go. In the text, we see Ahiah and Uzzah driving the cart which carried the ark of God. Any method we as a people uh, adopt where we seek to push the Lord, where we seek to move God where we want to go is a move that will eventually become off balance. It's skewed, and that will end, us, end, up, end up putting us in a precarious situation. We are privileged as a people to enjoy the presence of this great, loving, benevolent king. In saying that, we are never to forget that he is king. He is ruler. He is creator. He is sustainer. He is redeemer. He is sanctifier. He is savior. He is God. And I'm not, and we're not. Matthew 4, 18 through 20. Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. We come to church oftentimes, and, and you know, I'm not saying that, I, that we don't do this, but I'm just saying that, that if we're not careful... We invite people to accept Jesus Christ into their lives, right? And then God can go with you wherever you go. And in reality, I understand that. I'm not saying that, that it's wrong to do that, but I'm saying but really, it's not about asking God into your life. It's about your life being incorporated into his. Well, how do I get incorporated into his life? Through death, burial, and resurrection. I gotta die to who I am and take up my cross and then be raised up into newness of life in Christ. Matthew 16, 24. Jesus says to disciples, and I've read this before, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Romans 1, 24 and 25 says, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. Not a lie, but the lie. In the Greek, it actually says the lie. The means this is the one. Not a lie, which there are many lies, but the lie, the central one. What is the central lie? They worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. Who is the creature? We are the creature. Isn't that what Satan told Adam and Eve, really Eve? And he said, you can become God. Isn't that what the devil wanted, to become God? It's when the creature tries to exalt himself above the creator. That's when we get into problems. And even in Christianity, we have to be careful when we start saying, God will go with you, God will bless you, God will do whatever, wherever you go, whatever you do. Man, just it's great to have God in your life. Well, it's great to have God in your life when he leads, not when you lead. 
When you lead, you may find he don't want to go where you go. He's God. I used to use this illustration all the time. Let's see where we're we at. Okay. Uh, some of y'all know it already, but it's like, I, I just liken, I liken sometimes our lives to cars. All right? Before you get saved, your, your life is a car. And, you know, if your life is going great, you don't go to church. But, like most people, we, we drive, hit a pole. Like, Bobby, you hit that pole out there, you know, that you wife. You know, we hit a pole. <laughs> we got dance. We got Mars, we got scratches, you know, one tire is bad, we're limping, all that kind of, our car is in a mess, you know. Why is our car in a mess? Because we're terrible drivers. And someone says, well, you know, you, you can renew your car. How? Huh? Go to church. I don't even know if my car is going to make it till tomorrow, but if I can get to church, I'll go to church because I can get my car fixed at church. So we go to church, and people say, God is a great mechanic. God can help you fix your car. You know, God can come in or whatever the case may be. And here's what people say. They say, man, I need God because he'll help my, he'll help my car get good. So we accept uh, God as our mechanic. Go with the metaphor. I'll, I'll make it better, okay? So, okay, God. And then so then what we do is we invite Jesus into our car. Remember, our car is a metaphor for our life. But remember, the reason our car is in such a mess is because we've been driving. And we say, Jesus, get in the car. But guess what we keep doing? We keep driving. Right? And somehow we think our life is going to get better because Jesus is in the car with us. But that's really not the issue. The issue is who's driving. Get in the car with me, Lord. Pooch, pooch, pooch. Christianity doesn't work for me. You know why Christianity doesn't work for you? Because you never let him drive. You never let him lead. You never let him take control of your life. You wanted Jesus in your life, but you didn't want to relinquish control. We're not saying you won't make it to heaven. I'm not saying that. That's really not my call. But you won't experience the power and the presence of God the way you can experience. You won't experience the overcoming Christian victorious life unless you learn how to let him drive. First John 5 and 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and we keep His commandments. So let me bring it to an end. Even though the move of God was stopped in its tracks, David reevaluated the situation and concluded that what was missing was instruction from and obedience to the Word of God. Also missing was its revelation of God's holiness and God's requirement for holiness on the part of His people. When David put these things in place, the move of God continued, and the presence of God that David so longed for became visible in his everyday life. In the same way, as we seek God to move in our midst in the days of head, we must, in the fear of the Lord, dedicate ourselves to the primacy of the Word of God to guide us in our daily lives. And as well, we must prioritize the privilege and responsibility we have to God in His holiness and how we live, how we speak, how we act. Without holiness, as the Scripture says, no one will truly see God. God is moving in our midst. And we want, the, we want God to move more and more. We want to see incredible miracles. We want to see God's 
hand, touch people, save them, heal them, deliver. We want the presence of God to grow and, and to expand its influence in us and through us. We want all that. But we've got to keep the Word of God at the center because God will not violate His Word. We can say something is God and it be far from His Word and we may find that it's not God at all because God is faithful to His Word, right? The Word of God for, uh, is forever established in the heavens. And number two is whatever we do, we've always got to be holy. Holiness and purity are the hallmarks of a move of God. It doesn't mean you won't have problems or excesses and all that kind of stuff. But when the hullabaloo dies down, are people better? Are their lives more reflective of God? What kind of fruit are they experiencing in their life? And one last illustration to kind of uh, solidify that. Uh, there was a move many years ago at Brownsville, Pensacola, Assembly of God, and, and the churches were divided because some people saw what incredible miracles and salvations and other people saw excesses. And really, you know, they were both there, but sometimes your heart will determine what you see. So anyway, is this a move of God or is it not a move of God? The people that saw the excesses, they said, that's not God. And the people that saw the fruit, they said, it is God. Well, I'm a pastor. I guess I got to figure out, is this God or not? So I go down there. When I get down there, I see the stuff that's happening. Is it, is it stuff that's not happening in our church? Yeah, obviously. But is it wrong? Well, biblically, no. I mean, there's, there's some stuff there in the Bible, but I'm not sure about it. What made me sure that this was a move of God is when they had the baptismal service on Friday night. They would get up, and I saw person after person, and the testimonies were something like this. I was a prostitute, the lady said. And people from the revival came and they witnessed to me and they told me that God could do something in my life. I gave my life to God and I'm no longer a prostitute anymore and God is doing incredible things in my life. Or another guy gets up and he says, I was a drug addict. And people from the revival came and they witnessed to me and God delivered me from my addiction and now I'm serving the Lord and I'm enrolled in the school or fire school of ministry, whatever the case may be. And I said to myself, hearing this, I said, this is God. Because the fruit is changed lives. The fruit is people are glorifying God. And they're, they're giving God glory and they're saying, God did this for me and this is what I want to do. I want to live for God the rest of my life. The devil will not glorify God. Not going to do it. Right? And I knew this was the Lord. So whenever stuff starts happening, and, and it will, because when God shows up, stuff happens. Right? How do you know if it's God? You got to wait. Let's find out. Well, see, fruit is not evident right away. Right? You can have ruckus. You can have commotion. You can have all that's evident right away. But fruit takes time. So we wait. And we'll determine whether this is God or not by the fruit. Not by, well, I've never seen that before. Well, you know, the disciples never saw somebody walk on the water before, and they jumped to the conclusion that it wasn't God until it was. Oops. I don't want to make that mistake. So why don't we wait and see if God's in it? 
and let's see what God's going to do. It doesn't mean you don't steward. It doesn't mean you don't correct. It doesn't mean these things, you don't do all these kind of things, but you can't be too quick. It, it can't be something that I don't like that. You can't judge something whether based on whether you like it or not. It has to be judged based on what does God say in his word. Right? Is it biblical? Some people say, well, if it's not in the word of God, it ain't God. Other people say, if it's not, uh, um, if it's not commanded against in the word of God, then you're free to do it. There's two ways of looking at things. There are, you'll never find uh, uh, music, some of the music that we, that we play today, you're not going to find it in the Word of God because there are no music. There, there's words in here, but there's no, there's no uh, melodies in here. And people are coming up with new music, and they're coming up with new words and stuff like that. And, and you know, people were saying, that ain't God. If you don't sing the hymns, that ain't from God, you know. And the reality is a lot of the hymns we have came out of the bars of the day. Uh, uh, what is that song? Almighty Fortress is our God. You know, that was a very popular uh, pub song. And Martin Luther took it, and he wrote words to it, and he turned it into a hymn of the church. And people say, no, that's God. Well, not if you don't know where it came from, but, you know, God's in the, in the business of transforming things. And so you're going to have new music come out. You're going to have new, new preachers come out. You're going to have different ways of doing things. But the, what, how do we judge whether it's from the Lord or not? Is it biblical, and does it give God glory? And sometimes you don't know unless, unless you give it a little bit of time, right? So anyway, just, just there's a move of God happening and coming, and it's going to become more and more and more. And we just, I just, a few principles today, you know, to kind of teach us and show us that, that God, God, this isn't the first time this is happening, and God's in it, and God's going to move, and he's going to show us, and he's going to direct us. Just don't be too quick to flee and too quick to judge. Let God have his way. And eventually everything will work itself out and we get to experience what we truly want and that's the presence of God in our midst amen see blind blind people are going to be healed the deaf are going to hear the lame are going to walk drug addicts are going to get delivered right prostitutes are going to get set free I mean uh, demon demoniacs are going to be liberated why because God is in Thank you, Lord. If you're here.